So this evening, um, we come to the end of chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, and we'll be meditating on the last um, several verses, um, starting with verse 22 to the end of the chapter. And as we wrap up this first chapter, um, as I was studying this and just um, in these last uh, this last day here, thinking um, just about everything that um, Peter has unpacked for us here in this first chapter of his letter. And really, I've said this before, and I'll say it again, he's, he's really laying uh, a foundation and a groundwork for everything else that he is going to say throughout this letter. And what I'd like to do is, rather than just read the last few verses that we'll be meditating on this evening, I'd like to actually read the entire chapter uh, of First Peter. It'll only take a few minutes, um, just to help us um, just refrain or refresh our minds on um, what Peter is is saying here. And sometimes after studying something and then sort of moving on and studying something else, you can get lost and really sort of laser focused on what's before us. And we will dig into these particular verses that we'll read tonight. But I think it would be worthwhile just to take a couple minutes and read this through this first chapter once again. And then we'll be meditating more specifically on the last um, several verses. So I'll read the entire chapter, First Peter chapter 1, and it reads, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, Grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen ye love, in whom though now ye see him not, yet believing ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which salvations the prophets had inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that should follow, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look unto. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which has called you is holy, so be holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be holy, 
for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judges according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain conversations received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. And then verse 22. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart, fervently. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of men as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. May God bless the reading of his word. The main message of um, this particular text, verses 22 uh, through 25, here at the end of chapter 1, the main message or theme is Peter's exhortation to the people of God to love one another. He says, Set, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. That's the main point. That's the, the, the synopsis, as it were, of what he's saying here. And it's probably one of the most fundamental and one of the most basic commands that we read throughout Scripture. And <clears throat> it's also one of the greatest Um, In chapter 4, verse 8, Peter says, Above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity or love shall cover the multitude of sins. And he says in, in the verse prior to that, he says, Be sober, be watchful, be prayerful, be all of these things that he's exhorting us to. But he says, Above all things, have fervent love among yourselves. For love shall cover the multitude of sins. And we don't have time to get into all the details of what that means, that love covers a multitude of sins, but we will come to that verse eventually. But the command is simple. The exhortation is simple. Love one another. Now, Peter never gives a command or an exhortation without giving us the reason or the purpose behind it. He never just sort of throws it out there like a rule or a command that we are to follow. He always gives us a reason or a purpose. He never says just be holy for the sake of being holy. He never says just love one another for the sake of loving one another. He he always gives a reason and he ex- always exhorts the believers to something and grounds it in the indicative, that is, in what God has done for us. And the reason is because Peter knows that what God has done for us in Christ is everything, and it changes everything. 
It is everything and it changes everything. It is the power to live a holy life. It is the power to be redeemed. It is the power to truly love one another, as he says here, and to to live a transformed life. He never just says, be transformed, be changed, be changed, be holy, be redeemed, be loved, be whatever that exhortation or that command is. He always grounds it in the indicative. And for me to just say, to read this verse and say, we need to just be holy, um, if I say that, it's it's not going to last and if we read it in that, that light, this command here to love one another, if we, if we leave with this idea that we need to just try harder, we're going to fail. We will never be able to do that ourselves. Um, I think of all those efforts that people make. For us as humans, we're so frail, we're so weak, our ability to actually accomplish things is so limited, and to actually persevere in those things and and finish those things, um, it's so different than what God has done. When God something does something, he, he accomplishes it. He finishes it. He which hath begun a good work in you will bring it to completion. That's what, that's what Pete, or that's what Paul says. Um, when God starts something, he finishes something. Um, so it would be wrong, like I said, for me to stand up here and to say, just, just be holy. You know, be redeemed, love one another, do, do all of these things. Apart from what God has done for us in Christ, we cannot do and we cannot be any of these things. And Peter knows this fact. And that's why he always, um, sandwiches these, sandwiches, as it were to, were to say it, takes these things and he, 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 he wraps them up in, in what God has done for us. And the realities of, of everything that God has accomplished. And he describes what it means here. He goes on to describe another um, aspect of what it means to be God's new covenant people. Um, he said, starting in verse 13, that, that they hope in God, they are holy, they are redeemed. And finally now, the, the, the God's new covenant people love one another. And he, he sort of flip-flops back and forth in between this sort of indicative and the imperative and grounds how we should live in the reality of what God has done for us. And he starts here right in verse 22. Um, which is where we'll begin our meditation this evening, where he says, Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. So that's sort of his introductory statement before he gives the command where he says, See that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. He starts with this this explanation, seeing that ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. And he starts by talking about those who have purified their souls in obeying the truth. And when I read that, or when I read that, um, I had to think a little bit about what Peter actually means when he says that, that, that you have purified your souls in obeying the truth. Um, the NASB translates it this way. He says, since you have purified your souls, or because you have purified your souls in obeying the truth, therefore, love one another. 
with a pure heart fervently. So there's really two questions. Um, first of all, what does it mean to purify your souls? And what does it mean to obey the truth? So let's look at the second one first, obeying the truth. And I think with this, there's really two options of, of what this, at least of what I thought of what this could mean. So obeying the truth could mean keeping the law. Um, what is the law? I think Jesus summed it up probably the best when he said, when he was asked, you know, what, what encompasses all of the law? What is the greatest commandment? Um, Jesus said that we should love the Lord our God with all of our heart and love our neighbor as ourselves. And this sums up all of the law and the prophets. And I think Jesus was right when he said that, 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 the, that to, to follow the law, to obey the law is to love the Lord with all of our heart soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. That's really the, the, the heart behind the law. So the question is, is Peter saying here that our souls are purified by obeying the law? Because remember what he says here. He says, um, since ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth. So is obeying the truth mean obeying the law of God? Is that how our souls are purified? And I would argue that that's not what Peter is saying here. And um, I would say that because of what he actually says next. He says, seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. So obeying the truth is not obeying the law of love because obeying the truth produces, as he says, unto unfeigned love of the brethren. Unto unfeigned love of the brethren. So so love flows out of a result of having a purified soul through obeying the truth. So the question is, what does it mean when, when he says, having obeyed the truth? What does, what does Peter mean when he says that our souls are purified by obeying the truth? <clears throat> I think obeying means submitting. I mean, when you think about what it means to obey someone, if someone gives you a command and you obey that, you're, you're submitting to the command that they have given you. And I think the truth that, that, that Peter is speaking about here is the truth of the gospel, the truth of God's word. And, and we'll talk more near the end of this sermon about what that word of God is, that truth of God's word is. So obeying the truth, purifying yourself through obeying the truth is really submitting ourselves to the truth of the gospel. That is putting our faith and our hope in the truth of the gospel. And as a result of that, our souls are purified. They're converted. They're sanctified. They're cleansed. That's what comes out of obeying the truth. Putting our faith and our hope in the truth of the gospel. Titus chapter 2 verse 14 says this, Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people who are zealous of good works. And I think in this verse I see sort of all three of these things wrapped up in that. Of those who um, submit to the truth, um, are purified, and who are then zealous of good works. And... <clears throat> When we believe in the gospel, when we obey the truth by the Spirit, our souls are purified as a result of that. 
First um, John chapter one verse seven says, "But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us, purifies us, cleanseth cleanseth us from all sin. Our soul, our souls are purified by believing the gospel, and that produces in us." a sincere, an unfeigned love of the brethren, as he says, unto unfeigned love of the brethren. So that's, that's I think, the indicative. That's the, the foundation that Peter is laying before he issues this exhortation or this command to love one another with a pure heart fervently. Jesus said in John chapter 13, uh, verses 34 and 35, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another... As I have loved you. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one for another. And I find it so interesting how so many times, whether it's, um, in this case, Peter, um, writing this epistle, he's, he's thinking back to those words that he heard from Jesus. And he's really doing what Jesus told him to do and what he commanded his disciples to do is to take the truth of the gospel, everything that Jesus spoke and taught them, um, you know, in Jesus' great commission before he left this earth, he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, everything that I've taught you, everything that I've commanded you, take those things and go teach others, spread the good news and, and, and teach others. And I just, I see this coming up again and again. When you look through um, the epistles that are written here, you see these teachings of Jesus just, just sort of growing up and coming out of what these godly men are saying as they are now taking that message that Jesus gave, gave them and spreading it out to others. And this is what Jesus said. He said, love one another as I have loved you. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. So Jesus gives the same command to his, gives the same command to his disciples, and his disciples then pass that command on to others. And the command is to love one another. And he says it's a new command. Um, I think that's interesting. I think there's, um, something to be said there. You know, why is it a new command? I think the, the command, even if you think about, um, when Jesus said really what the heart of the law was, was that we love the Lord our God with all of our heart and love our neighbor as ourselves. Really, the, the law in and of itself is the law of, of love. So, you know, when Jesus says that we should love one another, why, why does he say a new command I give unto you? And I think it's because what Jesus is saying here is, love one another as I have loved you. And I just think about how Really, before Christ came and demonstrated that perfect love, we could not have known what perfect love was. We can see images of it. It's described for us in, in different ways in God's word. But to really see it personified in the person of Jesus Christ, when Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you, Jesus demonstrated what that perfect love was. And how we can truly love as he did. And 
I think this is what he's trying to get at, or this is what Peter's trying to get at when he's, he's talking about love being one of the defining markers of the new covenant people of God, of the disciples of Jesus Christ, God's people, that they are marked and they are characterized and they are defined by love. And he says, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples. And I think the question is, you know, we look at the example of Christ, and we, we look at, you know, commands that, you know, this, this command or exhortation that Peter's giving us here to love one another. And the question is, what is true Christian love? How is our love different than the love of lost, unregenerate people in this world? I think that's a relevant and a fair question to ask. Because when we look at this world, I mean, the message of love is not sort of unique to Christianity. It's not unique to Christians. In fact, it seems to be a message that, you know, is very pervasive in the world. It's like, you know, we should just love everyone and that will solve all of our problems. And we see this this idea of, of love is something, even though so many people can't actually do it, um, they at least would say it with their mouths and sort of spread that as a message. So I guess the question that I have is, how is it different for Christians? When, when, when Peter here is saying that we should love one another, how is that different from the world's message that says the same thing, that we should just love one another? Um, and how is it different? How is our love as Christians different than the love of others who are not Christians, like I said, those who are unregenerate, or even those who would call themselves Christians who are not actually Christians. And, you know, I think about, and just applying this to even our own selves and our fellowship here and within our context, um, I think that's one of the things, in some ways, that we pride ourselves on is, is that, that love that we have for one another, that close fellowship that we have. We need to be careful with that because we really need to examine ourselves and, and our, our love for each other and our, our close fellowship with each other and as as good and as special as that is, we need to say, we need to ask ourselves, is it true, biblical, sincere, unfeigned love of the brethren like Peter is talking about here? What is the difference? How is our love different than those of other Christian groups um, or those who would call themselves Christians like the Jehovah Witnesses or maybe the Mormons or any others who who really in, in many ways have a, a similar type of fellowship than we have. They're, they're a close-knit group. They seem to have a lot of love one for another. Um, how is it different? And I think the answer is really found in, again, going back to um, the example that Christ let, left for us when he says... Um, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, by the love that you have one for another. And the love that he's talking about there is the love of Christ, the love that Christ demonstrated, having that same love. Even, you know, he says, a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another even as I have loved you. So what is, the question is, what is that love that Christ demonstrated? Um, Jesus, or it was said, Jesus said, Greater love hath no man than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. So I think first and foremost, um, based on what Jesus said, is it's a self-sacrificing love. It's not sort of this, we all get along, we love hanging out with each other, you know, things are good. But it's a love that is deep 
It's, it's sincere. It's unfeigned. It's self-sacrificing type of love. That's what it means to truly have the unfeigned love of the brethren. And I want to challenge you, I want to challenge myself, all of us, is do we have that self-sacrificing love? That type of love that, that Jesus talked about, that, that Peter is referring to here, and really examine our lives and say, you know, when was the last time that we really sacrificed for our brother and sister? When was the last time that we really gave of ourselves in a sacrificial way because we had a deep, genuine love for others? Not just sort of a superficial type of love. And I'm not saying that, that, that when we do something, you know, it's always, you know, vain and, and with wrong motives. But I think if we're honest with ourselves, there are many times that we do things that have the appearance of being loving. And, and at least looking from the outside, just like I look at the, the Mormons and say, wow, they have a really nice, loving group. You know, what is the motives behind our loves? How genuine is it? Are we earnestly desiring to put others before ourselves? And when I think about my own life and even consider, when was the last time that I really did something for someone out of genuine, earnest, sincere, unfeigned, self-sacrificing love? And... It's convicting for me when I really consider that. And I think even in the context of what Peter is saying here, you know, Peter's saying here that we should, that we should love one another. And like I said before, he's not throwing out sort of a general call to love one another, but he's being very specific in how he's calling these, um, brothers and sisters to love one another. And really loving one another is um, first and foremost loving those who are nearest and dearest to us. And <clears throat> he's writing to these believers who are just in the context of this letter, who are suffering, who are under persecution, who are in a difficult circumstance, and he's saying that they need to love one another fervently from a pure heart. And I think it's hard to love sacrificially when we are in difficult circumstances. I think for me, you know, it's sometimes it's easy for me if someone calls me up and they need help with something. I mean, this might be a lame example, but you know, they need help with something and it's like if I've got nothing going on, it's so easy for me to be like, "Yeah, sure, I'll come and help you." But what if I'm going through a challenging time or what if I'm struggling with something or what if I've I'm, I'm exhausted from a day and then someone asks me for help or I see that there's a need and it's like, ah, oh, this is a sacrifice. That's, that's the kind of love that, that I think Peter is exhorting us to here. And, and, and I think, again, even within the context of who he's reaching out to, he's reaching out or he's, he's issuing this command to believers who are in difficult circumstances. They're not in a circumstance where life is going great, everything's good, and it's like, well, yeah, sure, it's easy to love one another, and it's easy to be sacrificial. Well, it's not really a sacrifice then. He's he's preaching this, he's saying this to believers who are in difficulty, who are struggling, and it's hard, and Peter knows that, but he still says it. He still says, love one another with a pure heart fervently, sincerely, self-sacrificially. 
Who are the ones that we are most likely to lash out to when we're under pressure? It's those who are closest to us. But he says, love one another with a pure heart fervently. And this kind of love can only come from a heart that has been purified by the gospel. So he now sort of links this back to what he first says here when he says to love one another with a pure heart. I think what he's trying to say here is that we should love one another from a heart that has been purified. Because remember, that's what flows out of a soul. When he says here that you've obeyed the truth and that has purified your souls, that has purified your hearts, and your and our love flows out of that. It says, unto unfeigned love of the brethren. So Peter's not saying here, just go be more loving. Just do more loving things. This is not just a command. It's for each of us to examine our own lives and ask ourselves, how has God done a work of grace in my heart? So much so that love is what flows out of me from a pure or a purified heart, purified unto unfeigned love of the brethren. Is it part of your DNA? Is, is love something that comes naturally p- to you because the grace of God has worked in your heart so much and purified your whole heart so much that it's producing love? That that's what's flowing out of it. It's part of the new nature. It's part of what it means to be born again. And that's actually what Peter sort of slides right into, into the next verse, in verse 23. And he keeps bringing up this reality of the new birth again and again. Because it's so fundamental in the Christian life and what actually produces or brings out this particular aspect of what it means to be the covenant people of God is that we love one another. Without being born again, obeying this command to love one another, quite frankly, is impossible. How can we love with a pure heart fervently in a Christ-like, self-sacrificing, God-glorifying way without being born again? We can't. We must be born Again, And that's exactly what Peter says in the next verse, in verse 23. He says, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So here's the other half. Like, remember what I, remember what I said at the beginning, that he, he always <clears throat> grounds the indicative, or the imperative in the indicative. So he, he seems to sort of wrap it up. It's almost like a sandwich of these realities. This is what God has done, so be this. And then he goes back again. This is what God has done, talking about the new birth. Um, and he goes right back into that as the reason why we can and should love one another. For ye have been born again, he says. As God's new covenant people, we have a new nature. And because of our new nature, because we have been born again, we now can and should love one another. And Peter seems to take this opportunity, speaking about the new birth again, to clarify how or by what means we are born again. Um, we know from back in verse <clears throat> 3 at the beginning of the chapter, he said that it's because of God's abundant mercy that he caused us to be born again. So it's by God's mercy, ultimately... Um, this new birth was was brought about by God, by his grace. Um, he saved us through his mercy. Um, he gave us this new birth. But how? How did that actually happen? What was the means that 
brought about this new birth. And he says here in verse 23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So it started, our new birth started with a seed. You know, virtually every living thing that there is starts with a seed. Um, we think about even us as humans. Um, you know, I was started from a seed that was planted in my mother's womb, and I grew up, and um, and and I became a human being. But I came really from that that seed. Same thing with animals. Same thing with plants. It all starts. All that new life starts with a seed. And he's talking here, Peter's talking here about the, the, the corruptible seed and the incorruptible seed. <clears throat> and the question is, what, what is the seed? You know, what is the seed that, that, that our new birth, this being born again, came from? Well, for each of us as humans, we are born into this world, like I said, from a seed. And if that seed is corrupted, ultimately it will grow up in corruption. It will produce a corrupt plant or corrupt fruit. It will, it will grow up into corruption. And each of us came from the seed of our parents, who came from their parents, who came from their parents. And if you trace it far enough back, we all came from the seed of Adam, um, and what seed was that? What was this seed of Adam? Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that is Adam, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. We are all the descendants of Adam. And we all come from a corrupted seed, from that seed of Adam that has been corrupted by sin. And that's why Jesus says, therefore, you must be born again. He says back in John, I think, chapter 3, he says, you must be born again. When Nicodemus comes to him and says, what, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he says, you must be born again. He says, except a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And if we have not been born again, if you have not been born again, you must be born again. So how are we born again? He says, not of corruptible seed. We're not born of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. And that incorruptible seed is the seed that has not been corrupted by sin. It was God who spoke this world into existence. By his word, God created everything. Um, he created everything by this world. And, and God's word brings life. God's word is, is something that um, speaks things into existence. He creates new life by his word. He created your new life, Christian. He caused you to be born again by his word. Being born again by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. You know, there's so many words that are spoken. 
um, in this world, um, so many things that are said. I just think about my day and all of the words that I hear, all of the words that I read, and what Peter is, is highlighting here is that it is the Word of God. It is only the Word of God that is living and eternal. Everything else is corruptible. Everything else fades away, but the Word of the Lord, only the Word of the Lord endures forever. And he quotes here from Isaiah chapter 40, um, and we don't have time to read all of what that chapter is about, but he highlights such, I think, a beautiful verse of what Isaiah is saying here as he, he speaks about the word of the Lord. He says, all flesh is as grass and all the glory of men as the flower of grass. So he's talking, he's contrasting man and even man's words and, and all of that. He says, the grass withereth and the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. The word of the Lord does not fail. It endures forever, and it accomplishes what it sets out to do. And when the incorruptible seed of God's word falls upon good ground, falls upon the hearts that are ready to receive that word, it, it will bring forth fruit. It will grow up into something that like Jesus said in the parable of the sower and seed, that word, that, 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 that seed of the word that falls upon good ground brings forth good fruit, 40, 60, 80, 100 fold of what is produced out of that. It produces faith. Romans ten seventeen says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And the word of God is really, as we read in scripture, it is the gospel. And he says, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Verse 25. This is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Just a few verses earlier in Romans chapter 10. um, Paul says this. For whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him who have not believed? And how shall they believe on him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. This good news, this gospel, is what was brought to these struggling believers um, that Peter is writing to who are facing persecution, who are facing opposition, who are facing many difficulties. This is the word that was brought to them. And Peter is pointing them back to that word that gave them new life, that that brought about their new birth. And they believed that they were obedient to that truth and it purified their souls and it is bringing out of them an unfeigned love of the brethren that, 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 that is from a, a pure heart, from a heart that is purified. We see how this all comes full circle here as, as, as Peter sort of ties this all together of what God has done through his word. You know, this life is so temporary and even these believers were we're, we're looking at their lives, and, and I think many of them were struggling with the reality of this life not, their, their lives, in a sense, slipping out of their hands. And 
perhaps being discouraged and saying, well, is life even worth living? And Peter is contrasting this, the temporariness of this life. All flesh is as grass and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth and the flower thereof falleth away. All of these things are going to pass and they don't last. But the word of the Lord, the word of God endures forever. So love one another. It's the means of our new birth It's caused us to obey the truth. It's purified your souls. It's producing in you love. So love one another from a pure heart fervently. And may God work these things in our heart as we um, consider these words that Peter wrote to these um, believers. And may they encourage us um, in our walk of faith here as we sojourn upon this earth. May God bless his word to each of us. Amen.